This morning we're going to consider the writing on the wall, the writing on the wall, Daniel chapter 5. Back in Daniel chapter 2, you may recall that King Nebuchadnezzar, he dreamt dreams that troubled his spirit, dreams that were so bad they woke him up. Consequently, he asked Daniel to tell him what it was that he dreamt and to give the interpretation to explain what the dreams were all about. After praying to God, Daniel told the dream, uh, told the king rather, that in his dream he beheld a great image, an image whose head was of gold, his breast and his arms were of silver, his belly and his thighs were of bronze, His legs were of iron and his feet were part iron and part clay. The various sections of the image represented different kingdoms. In time to come, the feet were struck with a stone that was not cut out with hands and the image was broken into pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor that was blown away by the wind. As for the interpretation of the dream, Daniel explained that the various sections of the image were kingdoms that would rise and fall. Nebuchadnezzar was the head of gold. As for that stone that was cut out without hands and that struck and destroyed the image, that is an everlasting kingdom set up by God and it points to the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. His is a kingdom that shall stand forever. Luke chapter 1, verse 33. Today, in chapter 5, we shall consider the very last hours of the Babylonian Empire. That head of gold on the image, Nebuchadnezzar, was dead and gone, and his grandson, Belshazzar, was on the throne. Not so much dealing with important affairs of state, such as an ongoing war with the Medes and the Persians, but rather indulging in what amounted to a drunken orgy with a thousand of his lords, his wives and his concubines. This is Belshazzar who was king of Babylon in the final hours of the Babylonian Empire. We're going to keep seeing him referred to as Nebuchadnezzar's son or Nebuchadnezzar being his father it's actually grandfather and grandson it's the same word for both in the original language but as you'll see Nebuchadnezzar it would seem was the grandfather of King Belshazzar whom we're going to be considering this morning as they drank wine from golden vessels that had been taken by his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar from the temple in Jerusalem they praised their gods of gold, silver, brass and so on gods that cannot see, they cannot hear and certainly gods that can never set up an everlasting kingdom but you're just setting the scene for you there King Belshazzar drinking wine from goblets that have been taken from the temple in Jerusalem no doubt getting drunk and having a whale of a time with all his guests and 
toasting the, their idols of gold and silver and brass and, and all the rest of it. All of a sudden, according to verse 5 in chapter 5, King Belshazzar saw fingers, nothing else, just fingers, not even a complete hand. And those fingers were writing something on the wall. He must have been rubbing his eyes furiously as he tried to focus on what he beheld. We're told in verse 6 that the king was troubled by what he saw. He was troubled. And so he was troubled so much so that his face changed. Perhaps it became pale, perhaps it became distorted with fear. The joints of his loins were loosed, which, amongst other things, is interpreted as meaning that he lost all strength in his legs and that he became incontinent. Such was his fear. Also, his knees were knocking. As such, King Belshazzar went from enjoying a time of idolatry and drunken debauchery to being struck with terror within a matter of seconds. The king summoned his wise men to interpret the message on the wall with a promise of promotion to third ruler in the kingdom to whoever was able to read and explain the writing to him. However, no one was able to do so. According to the historians, Belshazzar was second ruler in Babylon at the time. He was second under King Nabonidus, who was believed to be his father. That would explain why he offered the position of third ruler to whoever was able to explain what that writing on the wall was all about, why he offered him the position as a reward of third ruler and not second ruler. Because he was the second ruler after his father. In verses 10 through to 12, the queen, having heard what had happened, came into the banquet house or that den of iniquity and she told the king about a man named Daniel who had interpreted dreams for his grandfather, King Nebuchadnezzar. She expressed confidence that Daniel would be able to read and interpret the writing on the wall. Consequently, in verses 13 through to 21, Daniel, who by that time was an old man, was brought before King Belshazzar after rejecting the king's offer of promotion to third ruler in the kingdom. He told him about how his grandfather, King Nebuchadnezzar, had exalted himself. Details of King Nebuchadnezzar's self-exaltation, his pride and his boasting can be seen back in chapter 4, verse 30. Let's remind ourselves and look at that verse. Chapter 4 and verse 30. This is the, the grandfather of King Belshazzar. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honour of my majesty? You can see what a boaster and King Nebuchadnezzar was, how proud that man was. Verse 
Daniel also explained that God brought Nebuchadnezzar low, so much so that he was taken away from men and he was made to dwell with the beasts of the field. He ate grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until the time came when he acknowledged the sovereignty of God over all things and he praised and extolled the King of heaven, the God of heaven. God then exalted Nebuchadnezzar. His kingdom was restored to him and God even gave him more majesty and more greatness than he previously had. Back to chapter 5 here, in verses 25 through to 28, Daniel read what was written on the wall in the banqueting room and, as it turned out, King Belshazzar had every reason to be terrified by what he had seen. The message was that his kingdom was finished. His life had been weighed in the balances. He did not measure up. The things that God looks for in a man were found to be wanting and God had rejected him. That judgment of God upon Belshazzar was written on the wall and it was final So much so that in verse 28, look at verse 28 there. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Daniel did not say to King Belshazzar, thy kingdom will be given. He said thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Which, if you remember what I've said to you at the beginning... The Medes and the Persians, they were represented by the, the, the chest and the arms of silver on that image that King Nebuchadnezzar dreamt about. Back in chapter 2. Daniel highlighted the certainty of God's judgment by speaking to Belshazzar as if the overthrow of the Babylonians by the Medes and the Persians had already happened. And sure enough, it was almost time for precisely that to happen. Look again at verse 30 and 31. In that night was Belshazzar the king of the Chaldeans slain, and Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. Initially, there would have been little or no difference between King Belshazzar and his grand- grandfather, King Nebuchadnezzar. They were both lifted up in their wicked, heart, wicked hearts. They both worshipped idols. They both exalted their idols above God. Even so, their end was very, very different. Nebuchadnezzar was exalted by God, having shown repentance and by the grace of God, whose hand was heavy upon him, God brought him low, and God raised him up again. Whereas there is no indication that Belshazzar ever gave God the glory due unto his holy name. And unlike his grandfather, he was destroyed Apart from anything else, this illustrates that becoming a Christian is not something that you can inherit from your grandfather. 
or from anyone else in your family. I'm not saying that Nebuchadnezzar became a Christian. Don't know about that. I said that last time. I've no idea where Nebuchadnezzar is now. But the point is, just because God shows grace to someone in your family, it doesn't mean to say that that same grace is going to be extended towards you. Within the same family, there can be one member who will be exalted by God and even become a child of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there's perhaps an identical twin who will be weighed in the balances and found wanting and will be eternally destroyed in hellfire. Can you imagine that? Identical twins, one in heaven and one in hell. How can you avoid being found wanting when you and everyone else who has ever lived will be weighed in the balances on the day of judgment when the Lord Jesus Christ comes again and he judges everyone. He will judge everyone who has ever lived. How can you not be found wanting? You need to show repentance unlike King Belshazzar, who was in open rebellion against God until until the bitter end. For example, let's look again at verses 2 through to 4 of chapter 5. Belshazzar, whilst he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem. And the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood and of stone. Instinctively and without needing to have a deep understanding of God's laws, you might nevertheless realise, you might know that such behaviour from King Belshazzar was irreverent. It was dishonouring to God. Instead of using those vessels in reverent worship of Almighty God, Belshazzar used them for his own pleasure and for idol worship. You kind of work out that that can't be right. By desecrating the things that were consecrated to God, Belshazzar and the rest of the partygoers were committing sacrilege. What's more is that deep within him, he knew, he knew very well that he was in rebellion against God the God of heaven, with all that defiance and no doubt with everything else that he thought and said and that he did. He knew that he was in rebellion. That rebellion was willful. There was no godly sorrow and there was certainly no repentance. How can I know and say that deep within him he knew very well that he was in rebellion against the God of heaven? Well, Just look again at what Daniel said to Belshazzar 
after he told him all about his grandfather's experience of being brought low by God and having to eat grass in a field with the oxen for a period of time when his heart was lifted up and proud. Look at verse 22, what Daniel then said to him. And now his son or grandson, O Belshazzar, has not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this. He knew about it. What Daniel had been telling him there, he knew it anyway. Even so, Belshazzar raised his glass of wine to his idols instead of prostrating himself, humbling himself before the God of heaven. Belshazzar saw fingers writing a message on the wall. Even though he was busy praising his pagan gods at the time, there's certainly no indication that when he saw that writing on the wall, he thought something along the lines of, whatever that means, it must be a really good omen. After all, we've been praising our gods of gold and silver and so on. We've been drinking wine out of... The, the the vessels that come from the temple in Jerusalem, our gods must be very pleased with us and the writing on the wall is going to tell us as much. There was none of that, was there? Instead of taking the writing on the wall to be a word of encouragement from his worthless idols, he became as terrified as terrified can be. His conscience was accusing him and he knew that he was not in favour with the God of heaven, that the wrath of God was upon him. In verse 6, we're told that Belshazzar's thoughts troubled him, and that is because of his rebellion against the one true God, and he knew it. For one thing, he was actively worshipping worthless gods of gold and silver, despite the fact that the God of heaven has clearly revealed his power in his creative handiwork. What God had made was there for Belshazzar to see, just as much as it is for us to see. Two thousand five, six hundred years later. Also, the work of God's law was written in Belshazzar's heart, a law that Belshazzar willingly violated and consequently, as we see, his conscience was troubling him. When he was troubled, his conscience was troubling him. What I've just said about the big bad king of Babylon applies equally to you. Just look around you. Look at the sea when you leave here. Look at the hills. Look at one another now. All these things speak volumes of the creative handiwork of Almighty God, the God of heaven. Also, you have the work of God's law written in your heart, just as Belshazzar had the work of God's law written in his heart. And that means that unless your conscience is completely seared with a hot iron, your conscience either accuses you or else it excuses you. Certainly does with me, and I'm sure it does with each one of you. 
when you've said something and you immediately regret it and think, why did I open my big mouth? Or you do something, whatever. And then boom, your conscience kicks in and accuses you. What's all that about? We're told in the epistle to the Romans, Paul's epistle to the Romans, chapter 2, that God's law is written in our hearts and our conscience either accuses us or excuses us. All of this has been put into place by Almighty God. Consequently, you know when you're doing something wrong, such as cherishing the things of this world whilst at the same time denying God or defying God as Belshazzar did. Also there's lying. We all tell lies, don't we? We've all told lies. You say you haven't lied, then you've just proven that you're a liar. Lying is an abomination to God. There's a, we're, we're told in the Bible that homosexuality is an abomination, but so too is lying. Lying lips are an abomination to God. So when you lie, perhaps when you, 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 you destroy someone's character with lies, and you feel bad about it, and so you should, and it's your conscience accusing you. There's stealing, and as I've said before, stealing, it can take all forms, from stealing in a shop to, to pinching things at work and excusing yourself at the time, saying that it's perks, perks of the job. But you know it's not. Stealing, stealing. There's having murderous or lustful thoughts towards others. And so on, and so on. If I haven't mentioned your particular sins, I know that you are guilty of breaking God's laws. And I know that your conscience troubles you at times, if not always. And that is because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. God is long-suffering. He is very, very patient. But as we've seen, your continued rebellion will result in you being found wanting when the time comes for you to be weighed in the balances. When that time comes, it will not be a case of God seeing if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, as various religions seem to imagine. The Muslims most certainly imagine that to be the case, that everything is put in balances like kitchen scales, and if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, your sins in other words, then you're okay. That's good. But to, to, to have that thought, that mentality is to show yourself to be someone who hasn't begun to grasp the sinfulness of sin. It's not about your good deeds outweighing your sins. That could never ever happen in and of itself. Rather, it will be about whether you have shown repentance towards God and whether you have trusted 
in his dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ, believing that in his life he was perfectly obedient to the law on your behalf and in death he was punished for your sins, including all your pride and your adoration of the gold and silver of this world. Therefore, repent and with God's enabling grace and by his power, seek to do that which is pleasing to him as you live a born-again life by faith in your Saviour from sin, the Lord Jesus Christ. And to him be the glory. Amen.